Welcome to NBA Talk with Isaac Wolf. I am your host, Isaac Wolf. Some injury updates to start off with. Justice Winslow and Marvin Bagley are out for the season. Justice Winslow suffered a hip injury in practice, and Bagley, <laughs> the poor kid, can't stay healthy, has a lateral right foot sprain. James Harden and Russell Westbrook made their return to the court. Both arrived in Orlando in the past week. Westbrook's first practice actually was yesterday. And so once Lukamba Mute arrives, they signed him as a replacement for Tapas of Alosha, who opted out of the restart. They will be at full strength and ready to make a serious title run. I'm excited to see how these two superstars look when they get back on the court for NBA action. And some great news on the health side of things. Zero out of 346 players tested positive since July 13th. The bubble is working. This is fantastic. I'm so glad everyone's healthy. Live NBA games are back. So we can do our game recap section once again. They are just scrimmages, but hey, there's NBA basketball to watch. There were four scrimmages yesterday, starting off with Magic Clippers. My title favorite got off to a good start, winning 99-90. Without Montrez Harrow, who left the bubble for a family emergency. Lou Williams led all scores with 22 points in 16 minutes. Paul George had 18 and he was the only other Clipper in double figures. Most players played about 18 to 19 minutes. Jermichael Green played the most of anyone, 25 minutes. On the Magic side, Nikola Vucevic led the team in points and rebounds, 18 points, 10 rebounds, a double-double effort in 20 minutes. Terrence Ross, Aaron Gordon, and Michael Carter-Williams all added double figures as well, but it didn't matter as LA took the win by nine. The next game was Nuggets-Wizards, but I'm going to save that for last because I got stuff to say about that game. Pelicans-Nets, the Pelicans without Zion Williamson, who left the bubble due to an urgent family matter. He hopes to return, um, but the Pelicans destroyed, <laughs> winning by 31-99-68. Nikhil Alexander-Walker and Etuan Moore tied to lead all scorers with 14 points each. Brandon Ingram, in limited minutes, scored 12 points. Meanwhile, the net, uh, nobody on the Nets scored more than 11, and the only person, and that was John and Musa. <laughs> who scored 11 points. Now, the Nets didn't play Tyler Johnson or Jamal Crawford or Joe Harris, so it would, they're on a lot of their third stringers right now. I don't expect much from them. Heat Kings. The Heat became the only team to crack 100 points yesterday. Remember, for the first scrimmage, they're doing 10-minute quarters to kind of ease the players back into playing shape, and that's smart. Duncan Robinson hit five threes, led the way for uh, with 18 points for Miami. Tyler Hero added 15, but he went 0 for 7 from 3, so his shot is a little rusty. That's not good news for the Heat. They need him and Robinson on the outside knocking down triples. But that's why we have these scrimmages, to get the players back to at least semi-normal before the real games. At first, I thought it was a dumb idea. I thought it would just be more, expo- uh, more exposure potentially to COVID and potential for more injuries. But now that I'm thinking about it, And seeing it played out, it makes sense. And I'm okay with it. That's how great this league is. Adam Silver always knows what he's doing. This league is so far ahead of all the other leagues in pretty much every aspect. Returning, addressing social justice, you name it, they're excelling at it. Okay. Before I get to Bowl Bowl, let's talk about the lineup the Nuggets used. Let's just call it Daryl Morey's Nightmare. The complete opposite of the Houston Rockets. Tall ball. They put the 6'11", some list him as 7'0", Jokic at point guard. And he normally plays center. 
but he's such a good playmaker. I mean, he can play point guard. Jeremy Grant, who usually lines up at the four, started at the two. He's 6'8". Then they were like, okay, let's throw another center in there at small forward. Bol Bol, who's 7'3". And then the 6'7", Paul Millsap, who was the shortest of the starters, was put as his natural power forward spot. And finally, <laughs> the third and final center of the lineup at center, Mason Plumley, who was listed at 6'11". So yeah, a uh, huge lineup. They've, I mean... <laughs> That's what you call tall ball, the complete opposite of small ball. They were without a lot of their normal guards like Jamal Murray, Gary Harris, Will Barton, and Monte Morris, just to name a few. But anyway, let me get to that dude, Bull Bull, who was balling yesterday. Oh my gosh, he was crazy. It's the first time he's played on the court, I think, since his time in the G League with the Windy City Bulls in like December. 16 points, 10 rebounds, 6 blocks. He was all over the place. I knew he was going to be a steal. When he was drafted 44th overall this past summer, I knew immediately that the Nuggets got the steal of the draft. This dude is special. The guy is 7-3 and can play point guard. He can handle the ball. We saw him pull up for a three in transition after blocking a shot on the other end. He can go coast to coast. We saw him do that and put back his own miss. His arms are freakishly long. He's got like a, I don't even know, seven, 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 eight wingspan, something like that. He can shoot, defends the rim great, rebounds well. His height gives him a huge advantage playmaking-wise. And he's so long and athletic, he can go coast to coast and finish in like four steps. I love Bull Bull. If he stays healthy and puts on some weight, because he's rail thin right now. 20, 20, or 220 pounds sounds like a lot, but it's not on a 7'3", dude. Okay, I mean, he's going to get pushed around. A bit when he's not playing the Washington Wizards. I do want to clear that up. As great as he was, he was playing the Washington Wizards in a scrimmage. So let's not get too excited. He was impressive, and he was so impressive that the league drug tested him after the game. I mean, oh my word, this is Bull Bull. This is how he plays. This is a glimpse of how good he can be. It's not a fluke. He's a potential future all star in the league. And yesterday was a great start even though it really didn't count okay Shams Charania of The Athletic tweeted that the NBA's annual performance awards will be based upon the regular season through March 11th when the season suspended the award races are over so everything going into the decision of who wins the awards is done however season stat leaders will include the seeding games in the NBA restart but that report brings up the topic, main topic for this show, official award predictions. Uh, we're going to go coach of the year. We're going to do defensive player of the year, MVP, rookie of the year, sixth man of the year, most improved, all that. Starting with coach of the year. I say it's got to be Nick Nurse. When you look at the job he's done with this team without Kawhi Leonard, it's incredible. Kawhi pretty much carried that team to the finals last year. Then Van Vliet and Siakam stepped up and showed out in the finals. And I think that's what pushed them over the edge and got them the chip. Although the injuries on the other side certainly helped. But they are 46-18 and 18 in second place in the Eastern Conference. Six and a half games back at the Bucks, Three games ahead of Boston who sits in the third spot. And the fact that this is happening without Kawhi is, again, so impressive. I had them as the sixth seed in my preseason predictions list. I had no clue how well they would play without their star. Pascal Siakam has stepped up even more, became a first-time All-Star this year, All-Star starter, in fact. He's now their star. Lowry and Van Vliet made a great backcourt pairing. 
Yes, they went 17-5 and without Leonard last season, but I didn't think they could keep that up for a whole season, which they have. So hats off to them and Nurse for the job that they have done in Toronto after winning the championship and then losing their superstar. A close second would be Billy Donovan, in my opinion, because nobody thought they would be where they are after the Chris Paul trade. This was supposed to be a rebuilding year, but somehow they find themselves in fifth place in the Western Conference. I didn't think they would make the playoffs, so he certainly gets consideration. Most improved player. This year, I believe the most improved player award should go to Brandon Ingram on the New Orleans Pelicans. The change of scenery for him was exactly what he needed. Same for Lonzo Ball. Those two are thriving under Alvin Gentry's system in the less star-studded stage of New Orleans. Out of the spotlight, Zion's got all the attention down there. However, it is hard for us to ignore the improvement Ingram has made. Let's look at the numbers. Last year, he averaged 18 points, 5 rebounds, 4 assists per game. Only played 52 games, however. He had that uh, like deep Venice thrombosis or whatever that kept him out for a good chunk of last year. But this year, he's got that up to 24 points per game. 24! 6 rebounds and... Five assists, first-time All-Star. He finally lived up to his expectations as a number two pick. His shooting percentages went up as well. That was his biggest concern. His inconsistency from outside went from shooting 33 to 38% from downtown. 48% last year from the field compared to 50% now. He's just a much better player. He's a proven All-Star now. I got a chance to watch him when I went to the Pelicans-Rockets game back in October. And this was like... This was either the Pelicans' third, second, or third game of the season. I know it was the Rockets' second. But he just looked comfortable. He looked solid. Like, he looked he had like he had finally settled down and just played the game. Let the game come to him. By the way, he dropped 35 in that game. 15 points and 5 assists. Or, excuse me, 15 rebounds and 5 assists as well. He was phenomenal. Almost carried the Pelicans to the win. However, the Rockets won 126-123. But I could tell something about the way Ingram played was different. After that game, I was like, he's going to be the guy. He's going to be the main offensive weapon for that New Orleans Pelicans team. That was, of course, when Zion was out with his torn meniscus. Then he came back and kind of stole the spotlight from Ingram, did all the historic things we've talked about before. But he still maintained all-star status, was voted in as a reserve. The runner-up in this race has to be Devontae Graham. Bam Adebayo and Luka Doncic are close thirds, but Devontae came out of literally nowhere, okay? I know this is easy to say now that he's performed, but I thought he was a steal and could be something after he was drafted 34th overall. I liked what I saw from him at Kansas. He spent most of his rookie year in the G League, 23 points per game there, but only averaged 4.7 points per game during his time in the NBA. This year, however, that has skyrocketed to 18 points per game, and he's also putting in three rebounds and seven assists per game. His jump has just been amazing. He is now the number one option on that Charlotte Hornets team. I like that young core of Graham, Monk, Bridges, and Washington. If those four can live up to their max potential, that could be a playoff team in a few years, but they still have a long way to go. And it starts with drafting a solid big man this fall, and getting rid of Nick Batum's contract. If they can do that, potentially get a high pick, take Wiseman or James Wiseman or Onyeka Okongwu, I mean, that's a good start. <sighs> For sixth man of the year, 
Honestly, they should just share between the teammates Lou Williams and Montrezl Harrell. I don't know how you choose between one. It's one or the other of those two for me. I mean, maybe we should have the first co-six-man-of-the-year award winners as teammates. We should, actually. If I had to choose one, though, I'll go with... Gosh, I don't know. Uh, let's do Montrezl Harrell. Because they're both averaging exactly 18.6 points per game. Harrell's adding seven rebounds and a little under two assists per game. Williams is putting up three rebounds and almost six assists per game. Harrell is shooting 58% from the field. Williams, 41%. Yes, Harrell's shots are much easier. But, I mean, honestly, it's, it's just hard to choose between these two. But it's hard to go back to back to back if you're Lou Williams. He's looking for his third six-man-of-the-year award in a row. So I'd like to see Harrell get his first because he's been just as impressive and a little bit more efficient. So, in review... For Coach of the Year, I have Nick Nurse, Most Improved Player, Brandon Ingram, and Sixth Man of the Year, Montrez Harrell. Let's go to Defensive Player of the Year. This is another tough decision. We got a lot of good award races this year. Giannis or AD? But I'm going to say Anthony Davis. I just don't see Giannis winning MVP and Defensive Player of the Year. That's That, that hasn't happened since Hakeem did it in 93-94 and he's one of the best defenders who ever lived the NBA's all-time leading shot blocker I just don't see how he can win both and it's not like AD doesn't have stats to back it up two and a half blocks per game and a steal and a half per game and less than three fouls per game this isn't a guy who's in foul trouble a lot and that's hard to stay out of when you're 6'11 in the main interior star defender the Lakers defense ranked 14th in points Allowed per 100 possessions last season, but with AD this year, they shot up to third. Davis was sensational, very disruptive on defense. No player logged more blocks and steals or recovered more loose balls than uh, AD did. And as great of a rim protector as he is, when you look at the shots taken from all areas of the court, which we should, considering how much time Davis spends on the perimeter, defending stretch fours and switching on to guards... Among rotation players, only Pascal Siakam and DeAndre Ayton contested more threes per game than Davis did. And Siakam is on the perimeter a lot more often. Not sure why Ayton is out there all the time. Maybe that's just the Suns' dysfunctional defense. They're 21st in defensive rating in the league. The Lakers are second. That is separate from their third ranking in points allowed per 100 possessions. The Bucks are first, but that's not just Giannis. It's because the Lopez twins are just as good, if not better, interior defenders than him. That Milwaukee front line is stacked. Seriously, look up. There's not really numbers to look up. Just look up the Lopez twins and the Bucks interior defense. I mean, it's insane. It's not just Giannis. Opponents shot just 38.5% from the floor overall when AD was guarding them. That was the second lowest defensive field goal percentage of any player who defended at least 500 shots this season. So with those stats, combined with the historic rarity of winning MVP and Defensive Player of the Year in the same season, I have Anthony Davis taking home the award. Now that there's more, no more chances for Zion to catch up, I can't believe I'm saying this, but John Moran is going to win the Rookie of the Year award. John Moran's only competition was Zion Williamson, and he simply hasn't played enough games to win the award. It's that simple. Look, Jaws averaging 17.6 points per game, 3.5 rebounds, and almost 7 assists. 
Shooting 49% from the field, 36% from three. Some people, including myself, sometimes often forget how good of a shooter he is. Like, we get caught up in his athleticism and playmaking and finishing ability so much that we forget that he is a pretty good shooter. And yes, his athleticism is off the charts. His playmaking is very good for a rookie, but he's a capable shooter from just about every spot on the floor. His defense isn't spectacular, but again, <laughs> there's really no competition for this award. It could have been Zion if he played the eight games and just blew up in Orlando, but those games are not going to be taken into account. And 19 games simply isn't enough to win a major award, especially when the leading candidate has been playing at a very high level for 59 games, <laughs> 40 more games. I mean, we saw Joel Embiid in his third season technically but he was eligible for rookie of the year we saw malcolm brogdon win it over him Embiid only played 20 some games but brogdon played the whole season even though he wasn't the better player didn't have the better season he played more games and won the award there is no argument at this point ja Morant is this year's rookie of the year some betters in vegas are going crazy because zion was the unbelievably overwhelming favorite to win rookie of the year but now ja has gotten some people who wanted to bet against Zion some money. All right. Finally, the MVP. I already alluded to it earlier. Giannis is the MVP. And to me, it's not really a debate. LeBron James is the runner-up, but he's not that close to Giannis, and I'll tell you why. He simply had the better individual season. 29.6 points, 13.7 rebounds, 5.8 assists per game. LeBron, 25.7 points, 7.9 rebounds, 10.6 assists, leading the league in assists. Not bad. And don't get me wrong. What LeBron is doing is incredible. But Giannis is just doing better. His team's doing better. They have the best record in the league. And when you look at who's more valuable to their team, because the award is called most valuable player, it's Giannis. You take Giannis... Or, I mean, you give Giannis and the Bucks AD and see what happens. Take LeBron off the Lakers, they're still probably a six or seven seed in the West, which is good for about, that's about the four seed in the East right now. If you take Giannis off the Bucks, they're fighting for a playoff spot, maybe seventh or eighth seed at best. Yes, Chris Middleton is good. He got, he got into the All-Star game this year, but he's not a number one guy. Maybe he could be, but right now he's not. He's just a, he's just a great sidekick to Giannis. But back to Giannis, his PER, player efficiency rating, which basically what that does is it takes all the stats, points, rebounds, blocks, assists, steals, whatever, and combines them into one number, essentially. And he, now that the stats are finalized for the award races, he tied for the fifth best PER, single season PER, fifth best single season PER in league history. Will Chamberlain holds the top two spots with 318 8-2 and 31.74. Those were back-to-back -back seasons from 1961 to 1963. Jordan is next at 31.71. He's in the third spot behind the two Chamberlain seasons. During the 87-88 season, that's the season where Jordan won MVP and Defensive Player of the Year. He and Olajuwon are the only ones to do that. Then there's LeBron with a PER of... 31.67 in 2009, the 08-09 season. Then Giannis is tied with MJ in 91 and Will in 64 at 31.63. It's historic. It's a top five individual season all time when you look at PER. 
Were there better statistical seasons? Sure, but few were as efficient. And it's not like the traditional stats are bad either. I mean, he's putting up Shaq-like numbers. Almost 30 points and 13 rebounds per game and another six assists. Shaq didn't play make like that. And he's putting up those numbers in just 30, just under 31 minutes per game. He's producing like crazy. He's playing two and a half quarters of basketball and putting up 29, 13, and 6. It's insane. Giannis Antetokounmpo is the MVP. He is going back to back. He was my preseason pick, and he's my pick now. To wrap up today, happy birthday to DeAndre Ayton, Chris Clemens, Bryn Forbes, Javante Green, and NBA legend Gary Payton. We will be back next week with another podcast. NBA season actual games start next week. Can't wait.